Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Uh, Centennial Slaughter. Here are your host segments. This is the intro and host welcome. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about prophetic pregnancies and malicious mourners. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Michael Page and Luis Hernandez are voice talents Olivia Steele, Otis Jiry, and Nick Goroff. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Michael Page and is performed by Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's voice talents Olivia Steele and Otis Jiry. Tonight's story was written from a reader request gathered off of our Creepypasta Stories website. Grandparents are often our earliest heroes and can often be associated with a child's youngest formative memories of feeling safe and protected. In this story, we see what happens when this isn't always the case. Without further ado, I present to you Family Roots. Grandpa Cobalt hated letting things go. Whether it was the wobbly chair he kept in his study or his favorite warped record he fed to the gramophone, looping the same groove over and over... He was a tall man with a frosty thin hairline and a nose capable of the most powerful of snores. Due to the amblyopia, his right eye was the good one, while his left eye always drifted a few degrees off, coasting its own orbit. He called it his fisheye. My grandma, on the other hand, was a short, petite woman who had a voice that never spiked or got frazzled, even if you were on the thinnest of ice. She sang hymns while she cooked, and she loved to chase me around the room so she could peck my cheeks with kisses. I always called her Gram Gram. Creative, I know. The two of them preferred the country lifestyle, occupying some patch of land amidst the back roads of Ash County, 
far away from buzzing suburbs, but just close enough to the nearest grocer. I remember being eight and thinking their house looked just like a Christmas card in the snow, an all-American salt box with dark wooden siding, a steeply pitched roof, and an old red pickup that seldom left the lot. In the years after the last holiday trip, our interactions had been limited only to brief phone conversations and the periodic seasonal wishes. My grandparents did not come to visit, and neither did we. I sometimes felt sad how close my friends seemed to be with their relatives, and frankly, I blamed it all on the living distance between us. But the reality was, we were an estranged family, and rocky relationships with my father had left a seismic gap between both parties. I never did learn all those lurid details, but I know what involved a lot of money. I was going through a rough patch in my sophomore year, from dealing with an asshole ex taking all my friends to getting into a fight with one of the worst girls in school. She had tormented me through the entire 10th grade, and after complaining and having nothing done about it, I dealt with her myself. In fourth period chemistry, she and her snickering vultures always sat right behind me. This particular time, one of their murmurs reached me. You really think she does? I turned and looked at her dead in the eye. Does what? Her lips curled into a spiteful smile. Stuff your bra. You do, don't you? Nice and loud for the whole class to hear. Next thing I knew, I grabbed her by the hair, knocked her down backwards from the desk, and jumped on her. Ten days suspension but it felt really nice shutting her up. Worried for my mental health, my mother opted for me to stay with my grandparents for a week. Since her and dad's divorce, she'd been working hard to rekindle the ties with her parents, and she probably saw this as a way to bring some normalcy back to our family. Happy as I was to see my old folks again, it was hard not to feel just a little used. The drive from Charlotte to West Jefferson was a two-hour stretch, one and a half if I'd gotten to drive. I like road trips, though. They're always a good excuse to bust out the old moleskin notebook and start sketching the scenery. Drawing was always my diversion to things. As the road eventually gave way to gravel, we reached the Saltbox house all by its lonesome, save for the old barn which occupied the same grounds. And the red pickup, of course. Graham Graham was the first to greet us at the door, her small, delicate eyes widening behind her spectacles. She was wearing a cornflower blue turtleneck. Oh my, she gasped, gently cupping my shoulders with her thin hands. You can't be, Emily. You're too tall. You got me. I'm an imposter. <laughs> I laughed as we both pulled each other into a hug. Her hair smelled like coconut oil. She led us through the foyer and into the immediate living room that spanned the width of the house. It oriented around a fireplace, which funneled up to a large central chimney. The interior still held its log cabin charm, from the hickory floorboards to the exposed hardwood beams of the ceiling. In the corner of the living room, sunlight glinted on the old mahogany armchair by the window. We headed into the small kitchen. Its soapstone sink and aged finished cabinets still looked the same, but seemed lower down than my childhood memory recalled them. The wall still bore the sign that read, No home is complete without the pitter-patter of rabbit's feet, complete with a rabbit's foot keychain dangling at its corner. It was an eerie feeling being back after eight years, and finding that really nothing had changed. The house was a hidey hole, untouched by time. I headed through the side door and up the cramped walkway that led to the L-shaped staircase to the upper floor. Above them, the long, hand-carved faces of the bearded men once again stared down at me, their wooden teeth grinning and their eyes wide with fake life. While the adults chatted downstairs, I unpacked in the guest room. The closet smelled of mothballs, which left a lasting-in-the-nostrils effect everywhere else in the room. With my clothes stashed, I walked the hallway and stopped the closed door of Grandpa's study. Muffled rustling sounded from inside. I knocked lightly against the door. That roused a busy voice from the other side. One sec. Uh, no, just come in. 
I peeked briefly inside and then let myself in. The blinds were closed and the dark space was lit only by a desk lamp. Beneath it, Grandpa Cobalt's head was bent forward toward his desk, the pocket knife in his hand slicing carefully at a piece of wood. Chips and fuzzy shavings perforated the workspace as he whittled more of its shape down to a fishy outline. Didn't grab the light, he said, clearing his throat as his good eye left the project. Although his voice was a cheerful one, his lips remained curled in a permanent, dignified expression. I flicked the switch, lighting the rest of his office up. It was exactly how you'd picture a fisherman's office to be. An old, big-mouth Billy Bass mounted on the wall, bayou-themed knickknacks lining the shelves, and pinned just above the old gramophone, a wide hanger of fishing lures, all carved and painted by Grandpa himself. His surroundings hadn't changed since I'd seen him last. The chair lightly teetered as he left it and clapped a firm arm around me. Been too long, pal. Barb's been cooking up something special for you guys. Can't wait for that. I smiled and returned the embrace. My mother ended up staying for dinner before the drive home, giving us all a chance to catch up on things and to clear the air, per se. I know that was a big reason why she stayed, but I also knew she would never pass up a chance to sample Gram Gram's cooking again. While Grandpa Cobalt reveled in his fishing prowess, my grandmother prided herself in one of the oldest southern staples, comfort food. Sugar-glazed ham, sweet potato biscuits, butter cake rolls. She had certainly prepped for our visit that evening. With full stomachs, I hugged my mom goodbye and waved her off as the car rolled off the driveway and down the gritty road. As I tried to sleep that night, I could hear every so often the shy whisper of wind that sighed out of their fireplace. The next morning, after a hearty breakfast from Grandma, I decided to walk the grounds again, taking it all in again a near decade later. The tire swing in their backyard still hung from the old maple tree, its insides pooled with trapped, smelly water. From there, a path of stone steps led to the garden, still sprawling with life after all these years. Straight away, I ended up at the barn. Little had changed about it, save for the evident sag in its roof from the rotting timbers. The once bright paint was now lifting and curling away from its red, weathered body. Several of the boards were peppered with holes from woodpeckers trying to get at the insects hiding in their cavities. I used to follow Grandpa around the stables as he fed the chickens and milked the cows in his crud-caked overalls. But those days were long gone now and the barn was far past its cultivating years. I walked up to the large doors, only to find them chained shut with a padlock. Not safe in there. Grandpa Cobalt's voice came out of nowhere. I jumped, not even realizing he was behind me. The old girl still has strong bones to her, but they aren't getting any sturdier. Best steer clear. Why do you keep it around then? I asked, which only made him smirk and look away. The rest of the day played out smoothly, with me exploring a few trails near the house and then helping chop and stack firewood. I was lousy at it, and by the third axe drop, I asked if we were done yet. That gave Grandpa a good, whistly laugh. If you want us to freeze to death, he cackled. The day after that, I drew a sketch of the barn in my notebook watched some old cable TV, and helped Gram-Gram do some weeding in her garden. Sure, it was nice being helpful for my grandparents, but honestly speaking, I was mostly trying to keep myself busy so my brain wouldn't shrivel from boredom. The spotty area had fizzled my phone service to nothing, and the only books I'd thought to bring were ones I'd read countless times before. Every so often, when I was walking the hall, I'd catch a whiff of something floating around the house, Something other than the mothball scent in the closets and on the furniture. Something that smelled of earth, almost like dirt. But before I could start to trace it, the scent had already evaporated. On the third day that I was there, Grandpa showed me his favorite fishing spot, a stream that had flowed under a short wooden bridge. The two of us sat off the bank with the folding chairs we'd brought, as he cast out a line, I focused on drawing the circling dragonflies and the skating skitterbugs. At roughly 2 a.m. that night, I awoke to the awful feeling of sweat 
The room was hot, and the cottony dryness of my mouth had made it hard to even swallow. I rolled out of bed and lightly made my way down the stairs for a glass of water. A light glowed from one of the table lamps in the living room. Seated wistfully in the armchair next to it was Graham Graham. She was in her nightgown, and my first thought was that she must have fallen asleep there. But no, she was awake. Hello, dear. Can't sleep? She smiled, hunching slightly forward at my presence. Clasped between her hands was a jug filled to the brim with water. No, I said dryly, clearing my throat in the process. I just need a drink really quick. Oh, she exhaled. Happens to me all the time. Would you like some? She leaned forward to offer me the jug, fingers quivering around the glass. Her expression was dull and somewhat disoriented. She wasn't wearing the turtleneck, and I noticed a scar at the base of her neck, circling around it like a grisly necklace. I smiled, turning down her offer. No, uh, that's okay. She flinched her bony shoulders. More for me, then, and tipped the spout of the jug up to her mouth. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. A glutteral glug 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 sound escaped as she leaned her head back and forced more of it down. I watched, more stunned than anything, as her throat rippled and the neck scars flexed and relaxed. One mighty gulp after another. Globs of water rolled over her chin and spotted her gown. When she finally finished, she rested the empty jug on the table and breathed. <sighs> Taking a moment to wipe her wet lips. Sorry about that, dear. I get pretty dried out at night, too. The dull expression returned. Do you want to see? She asked, her voice dripping. Before I could answer, or even properly soak up the question... She gripped the ring finger of her left hand and bent it backwards. A muffled pop sounded under the skin as the finger snapped back and touched the top of her wrist. Grandma! I shouted as my insides all clenched at once. She did it again, this time pulling her index back like a railway lever, crunching with bone instead of rust. Despite my horrified reaction, she still stared dimly at me with hollow eyes, twerking two more fingers out of place, snapping them like dry stems. Grandma, stop! Please stop it! I pleaded. Footfalls sounded down the stairs. Grandpa Colbert rushed in, barefoot in his plaid pajamas. He pulled Gram Gran's hands apart and looked back at me pleadingly. I could see he wanted me out of the room before she could do more to herself. I went back to my room upstairs. It was all I could think to do. A minute or two later, I opened the door and peeked into the hallway. Grandpa had brought her upstairs to his study. I could hear drawers being rustled open and closed. Every so often, from the glow beneath the door, a crease of shadow would roll by. Neither of them was speaking on the other side. I lay in bed for some time. Instead of the dryness in my throat keeping me awake, it was now the nauseating sound of fingers being bent and broken. That morning, I made my way downstairs. Graham Graham was once again in her turtleneck and humming another hymn in the kitchen. A choir of eggs harmonized in the frying pan. Good morning, hun. She smiled briefly, but
but then turned away uncomfortably. She looked to be in a struggle, cooking with her right hand, the dominant one now immobilized in a splint. Grandpa says I scared you last night. I'm so sorry. I should have told you about my sleeping condition. If only you didn't have to witness it. I moved to help her. No, it's okay, really. I just hope that you're all right. Oh, yes. She laughed, flaunting her brace. It's nothing I'm not already used to. Even though it gave me some answer for what happened, it still didn't quite add up in my mind. She acknowledged me when I came downstairs, spoke to me even. Even though she clearly wasn't acting like herself, was it really possible to be so dead asleep you couldn't feel your joints snapping apart? As you were the one doing it? I wanted to believe her. I really did, but it was a hard pill to swallow, even with all that water. Most of the time, the best place to find her was in the living room, where she typically resigned herself to the armchair by the window. That had always been her favorite spot. I remembered being eight and sitting on her lap watching a storm outside, warm coffee in her hand, hot cocoa in mine. Now, though, when she did leave the chair, it was only to put something on in the kitchen or refill the glass she always kept close by. But despite how much she enjoyed cooking... I don't think I ever saw her actually eat anything the whole time I was there. She just preferred to sit, taking in nothing but water and window sunlight. As I finished a sketch of her from the couch, I soon realized that I'd never seen her blink while she sat there. Not even once. For dinner that evening, I stuck around to help her in the kitchen. I figured she could use the extra hands. I was dressing the potato salad when a sudden crash sounded behind me. A plate had slipped out of her grasp and lay shattered on the floor. She didn't gasp or sigh about it. She just stood there with her head tilted toward the sharp bits of ceramic. Then in the same instant, she crunched over them, grabbed another plate, and continued with her task, not acknowledging what had happened whatsoever. When the meal prep was finished and after the broken plate was scooped up, we set the dinner table. Roast chicken, peas, mashed potatoes. I was starving. The back door opened and closed. Grandpa Cobalt shuffled his way in and claimed a spot at the table. He smiled, his good eye focused on the plate and the other admiring the wall. During dinner, I noticed Gram Gram barely touched her plate, giving only a few courtesy prods to the mashed potatoes. I stood up to take my plate back to the kitchen. She looked up in surprise. Where are you going? I'm finished, getting pretty full here. Her brow darkened and her eyes marked me dully behind the spectacles. Kids who do not clean their plate do not get to play. Please sit. A few measly flecks of chicken were left for me to finish. I'm good, thanks. I laughed a bit, taking it as a joke. Her face first went slack and then all at once clenched into a crinkled mask of anger. Clean your plate! Barb! Grandpa spoke up, still chewing some food. Leave her be, she's finished. Leave it be. It is a waste, she said fiercely, arms shaking. A waste of good food! Finish your own plate then, I almost shouted back, but bit it back. Instead, I continued toward the kitchen. Dishes jittered, a heavy thud resounded across the table. I turned. Gram Gram was standing up now, lips taut with anger. Her whole appearance looked different. My sweet, gentle grandma had wavered into something else. Something hag-like. I said eat! She screamed. Eat! 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 Each word was spat and fueled by another pound of the table. Her glasses dropped into the potato salad. Grandpa Cobalt left his chair and moved to calm her down. I was much more angry than afraid at her outburst. I opened my mouth to tell her off, but then I saw it. The black substance running down her face. It oozed from her left ear, dripping densely down her cheek and over the curve of her chin. I thought it was blood at first, but no, it was too sticky. Too thick. Grandpa seemed to take notice as well as he grabbed a napkin to wipe her face. 
I left through the kitchen and then out the back door to get away from the shouting. It was all too much to handle. I found an outdoor bench in their garden and sat on top of it for a while. Grandpa came out and joined me, his face florid with exhaust. Hey, he said quietly. I'm sorry about all this, Emily. Your grandmother's going through things, difficult things, that impair her mentally. She doesn't mean it, and believe me, she's trying her best. She'll be back to her old self soon, just give it some time, I promise. He wrapped his arms around me in a firm hug, and then headed back inside, leaving me to my thoughts. I tried my best to calm down, but all I could think about was Graham Graham and that black sap rolling out of her ear. After the incident at dinner, she did not leave her bedroom. Sometimes I'd hear the whiffled groan of a floorboard or the wet sniffle of breath coming from the other side. Is Graham Graham okay? I asked Grandpa in a study. She's alright. He answered idly his good eye trained on the newly carved fishing lure in front of him as he attached a treble hook to its rear. Just needs some rest. Should we take her to the hospital? Just to be safe? No. He said vehemently, veering his attention back to me. I already told you, she is fine, all right? It wasn't like I had any say in the matter, so I left it alone. But I couldn't help feeling guilty about how things were going. It was like I'd become a nuisance instead of a guest. That night, a loud thump roused me awake. I heard movement down the hall, and judging by the mutters and mannish grunts, I guessed it could only be my grandfather. He grumbled and sighed as he made his way slowly down the stairs, like he was lugging something down them. The back door opened and closed. I glanced out the window and spied his hazy outline pass through the darkness and cut across the grounds. He approached the dark silhouette of the barn, fiddled with the lock at the door, and vanished inside. It was one thing to be awake at this hour, but an entirely different thing to be entering a place he deemed too dangerous to set foot in. I settled back into bed, the curiosity keeping me awake even longer. That morning, I wanted to try and do something nice for Gram-Gram while I was still there. Eggs, some toast, and bacon, ever so slightly burnt. Although I was far from the sort of cook she was, I figured breakfast in bed would count enough. Plate in hand, I knocked on her door. Graham, Graham, I made you some breakfast. You hungry? No answer. I knocked slightly harder, which pushed it a smidge open, then impulsively nudged it the rest of the way. The first thing to hit me was the smell the same earthy one had been catching in periodic wafts in the house, but now sharper and thicker than ever. Pungent, damp, bitter, like moldy vegetables. The second thing, which came immediately after, was that Gram-Gram was nowhere. Her bed was empty and from the looks of it, only one side of the sheets was being used. Even the bathroom was empty. Atop her dresser, a miniature cat doll stared at me. Its gray face stitched to a frown and a plastic tear dropping out of its eye. It was just me and the room which stank of rotting soil. Something crunched under my shoe. A clumpy, sticky substance stuck to the floor. Blotches of it had dried into black, gummy droplets that started at the door and stained all the way up to the bed. Or maybe it was the other way around. I checked all around the house, the backyard, the garden, and even found myself double-checking the armchair in the living room, like she'd somehow just materialized there by the window. But she was nowhere. Grandpa came back to the house and walked up the stairs, and managed to catch him on his way out of the bedroom. Do you know where Grandma is? I asked. Deep furrows marked the corners of his mouth. With one hand still wrapped around the doorknob, he closed the door briskly behind him. In bed. She needs to rest. He disappeared into a study, leaving me standing there, trying to digest the lie I was just fed. That night, I heard him stir once again to the lower floor, scuttling down each step on quiet feet. 
From the window, I watched as he looked around, unchained the barn door, and slipped inside. But why? What was he hiding? The questions rolled around like rocks in my stomach and made me feel queasy. Grandma was missing, and Grandpa was acting strange. Even as I had attempted to prod him for information earlier that day, he only seemed to divert from it. Eye contact was never his strong suit, given the fisheye, but I could tell something was off from his body language. It was like he was trying to squirrel away from the subject entirely. It made me feel nervous, like I was suddenly talking to someone else. A stranger. Check the barn, my gut proposed. Wait until he comes back and then sneak out yourself. I thought about that small hole my eight-year-old self had discovered on the side of the barn. I wondered if Grandpa ever did manage to patch it up. It had been the easiest way to sneak inside and pet the cows. No doubt it would be a tight fit, but it could be possible. That would at least get me beyond the padlock. Then I could be in and out quickly. The thought was provoking, but also curbed by the possibility of what I might find inside there, whatever secret thing he'd been doing. Not only that, if it really was nothing and I was discovered, it would no doubt hurt Grandpa for suspecting him of something so vile. But the trust was gone now. Gram-Gram was gone. I waited by the window for some time, not daring to leave the house until I knew he was back indoors. As every minute passed, so did a rising flux of worry. At last, the barn door slid open, and out he came, returning to the house with an exhausted gait. I listened intently for his shuffling down the hall and then the groan of hinges from the bedroom door. When enough silence passed, I cautiously moved down the stairs and out the back door, thankfully without any noise. The outside air woke me and brought back the reality of what I was preparing to do. Fear and uncertainty compressed my legs, demanding that I stop, that I really think about this. But I was done second-guessing myself. I pushed on. Insects chirped their reedy songs from the brushwood. I circled around the barn's haggard body and, sure enough, found the small hole in its side. Considering that I'd been barely small enough to squeeze through as a kid, there was no chance I'd fit now. I gripped one of the weaker planks near it and gave a hard tug. The wood groaned from my effort but held firm. I sat on the ground, planting both my shoes against the timber and yanked again. The nail holding it ripped out like a tooth as the plank gave with a loud snap. I took a few breaths, nerved myself up, and crawled through the widened passage. The air inside was heavy with the smell of old, dusty wood and further thickened with something sharp and familiar. The same odor that lingered in the halls of the house. Only the smell was a thousand times stronger here. I flicked on my cell phone's flashlight. Cobwebs hung like streamers from the ceiling. The animal pen sat empty of anything but silage and still stunk somewhat of their dung. From one of them, the teeth of an old pitchfork poked dangerously out of the brush. I walked deeper inside, bypassing a tractor beneath a grime-laden tarp, long past its golden years. Beyond the stables and the far darkened rear of the interior, my light caught the silhouette of something tall and arboreal. A tree growing right in the haunches of the old barn. From its splayed branches, I could make out the dark, grubby shapes of fruit hanging from them. I approached it, more curious than anything, about why it was here and why Grandpa wouldn't have just turned it to firewood by now. A bad feeling slithered down my neck. A very bad feeling. Then, as enough dusty light pushed back the darkness... I saw it. All of it. Not a tree, the voice in my head squeaked with knife-edged terror. The trunk, if you would call it that, was not made of bark, but of a stretched, leathery skin. It buckled and folded around the main body, forming the same rows and ridges as a fingertip. From atop its crown, thin skeletal branches, which started as stems, grew and evolved into veiny arms. Human arms. 
their splintery fingers gripped in silent torment. The vague shapes dangling from them that I thought were fruits weren't fruit at all, but rows of wrinkled heads. Some had full heads of white hair, some had more developed features than others, and somewhere in the dim compartment of my mind, I realized something else. They all looked like Graham Graham. The tree's long, gnarled shape reached halfway to the ceiling from the evil earth that birthed it. In its center, a distinct crater was left, as if something large had recently been carved out. Something like a torso. From that patch of soil in front, someone had been hard at work digging up and exposing the roots. Boneless, atrophied legs with nubs on the way of becoming toes. A pair of them appeared to have already been cut and removed from the main stem. I was now breathing hard, practically panting, trying to find some way to process the gaunt, twisting thing before me. Then, without thinking, I snapped a photo. That's when I heard it, the sound of a chain being fiddled with. I turned on my heel, clambering around a bit before picking one of the stacks of old hay and hiding behind it. The barn door slid open just as I remembered to turn the flashlight off. Overhead lights flickered on and glazed the inner space with a soft yellow glow. Boots made their way inside, thumping over the matted hay. I leaned closer into my hiding spot, straggly bits of straw poking into my cheek. Grandpa Cobalt came into view, approaching the nightmarish thing with a slow, burned-out pace and a few exhaled murmurs. A large empty sack was strung over his shoulder. Taking no notice of me, he maneuvered around to a small workshop in the corner, where a rack of brooms, a shovel, a manure fork, and a stained pruning saw hung in wait. Bypassing those, he first gripped the wooden ladder, situated it at the front of the tree thing, and returned for the handsaw. I couldn't look away from him, and the thick air I'd been breathing had started to make me feel lightheaded like all this truly was just a bad dream. Stepping on a few of the rungs, Grandpa surveyed the hanging heads, cupping each one by their cheek with his gloved hands. He opened their mouths, checking their teeth. Finally settling on one, he gave a little twist and plucked it like a fat, ripe apple. The selected head went into the bag. He repeated the process for the tangle of arms, looking each of them over. Upon choosing the best two, he brought the saw up to where their collars met with the rest of the trunk and started cutting. The silver fangs chewed through them, producing a wet, grinding sound with each stroke. I pinned my hands over my ears, trying to keep out the noise of moist, ripping fibers. The arms drooped and dangled from their stems, and after the split, were quickly fed to the bag black sap drained from their stumps. With his bag full of the chosen parts, Grandpa Cobalt slung it over his shoulder and brought it to a door on the side of the room. It opened to a short, small space where a light hung above a table. A white sheet was draped over it, a vague, silhouetted shape beneath it. He closed the door shut behind him. Can't stay here, my thoughts sloshed and finally churned out. Have to go. Have to get out. I cautiously moved toward the way I'd come in, planning to cut through the empty pens in order to not be seen. But instead of my foot finding soft earth in my next step, I felt something hard and wooden. A trapdoor. Its frame was as dilapidated as the walls around me, and I'm almost certain it would have given beneath my weight had I continued. I tried to peer through a gap between its boards, but it was too dark even with the overhead ruddy lighting. Checking back once more behind me, I faced my phone between the boards and flipped the flashlight on. The cavern below lit up, and had I not clamped a hand over my mouth, I would have finally let a scream slip out. A body, no, several bodies, were down there, stacked nakedly over each other in the pit, as though dropped one at a time. Their skin was flaking like old paper, their eyes were dried in their sockets, their dry lips curled in mummified sneers and grimaces. But the worst of all was the one on top of the pile. Its white hair spilled behind it, 
and a splint still fitted around its bony wrist. The time between squeezing back through the hole in the wall and running back to my room felt stitched together, split maybe between two or three blinks. I fell against the guest room door, closing it and sank to the floor, hyperventilating in short, quick gasps. My heart flip-flopped in my chest. My mind was trying its solemn best to keep it together. I dialed my mother's cell. Pointless. The signal could not reach the towers beyond the mountains. All I could do was wait for her to come and pick me up tomorrow. Then I tell her everything. I tell everyone everything. The downstairs door pulled open, and the drumming of shoes drew closer. There was no lock on my door, so I made a cautious but quick crawl toward the bed and rolled the bedsheets over me. Boot heels thumbed up the stairs, traveled down the hall, and stopped at my door. I held back the air in my throat and rested a hand over my thrumming chest. The doorknob jostled softly, then twisted, as the door inched open with a horrible, terrible groan, only partially opening. I lay still, hoping he'd see that I was asleep and move on. Then, in a voice so unfamiliar I could hardly understand it, he spoke through the crack. Delete the photos. Sharp, frigid terror shot through me and jostled my insides. I didn't move, trying to hold on to the facade that I wasn't awake. But the door didn't move, remaining open to the slit of hallway. Did he really see me there? Or did the intel come from something else? I hovered my finger over the phone and erased the first photo, hoping to at least hold out with the second I took. The one of the bodies in the shaft. Both of them, he grunted. As I deleted the final bit of data, the door began to close, stopped, and pushed open once more. I love Barb. I hope you know that. I didn't answer. The door then clicked shut and the boots returned downstairs. He must have had more work to do. I looked emptily toward the window. The sun was on the rise, slowly shifting the night into a newborn dawn. I did not leave the room, even as the disk of sun finally peeped over the hills, even as the smell of delicious food wafted through the vents, even as the sound of footsteps came to and fro from the hall. Then I heard it, the sound of wheels crunching gravel outside. My mom was finally here. I rushed downstairs, planning to meet her before she even touched the doorbell, but as I reached the living room, my legs deadlocked, the familiar cold air of shock washing over me again. Well, look who decided to join us, Graham Graham trilled from the armchair. She was in her turtleneck, and the splint rested securely over her mending fingers. But it wasn't her. It was a collection of parts, of pieces from the tree thing all strung together beneath that sweater. Behind the collar over her neck, I pictured a fresh ring of scars, maybe even stitches hiding under the fabric. Were there still guts and organs within them, or just more heaps of black sap? I knew this wasn't Gram-Gram, just like I knew it wasn't the same Gram-Gram I spent these days gardening and cooking with. It was a different one, a new one freshly picked and pulled together, was my real grandmother dead? Was this some deal Grandpa Cobalt made to never lose her? A deal with the devil? Did he just wait for one to shrivel up before carving out a new one? Are you alright, dear? It inquired. You're so pale. Are you hungry? Do you need some water, maybe? I never knew what it truly meant to see the light leave someone's eyes. But behind those spectacles, the eyes were dead and dull wide with fake life. A knock came at the door, prompting the thing with Gram Gram's face to sit up. That must be your mother! Finally come to rescue you from us! It laughed. As she pulled open the door to let my mother in, all I could do was stand there. That isn't Gram Gram, it's something else! I tried to say. The words died on my tongue. A tight queasiness bubbled up my throat and made the room spin. I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to go home. 
Grandpa Cobalt didn't leave his study to say goodbye to us, and frankly, I wanted nothing more. From upstairs, we could hear his gramophone beginning to play. So how was it? Mother asked on the drive back. I tried again to tell her to spill everything I'd witnessed, but the same dizziness returned and closed my throat. Needle-sharp pain filled my ears and only grew worse as I tried to push the words out. Hey, are you okay? My mother asked, seeing how much I was struggling. But I couldn't blurt it out. The awful, horrible images swelling in my brain. Even as I tried to write them down, the seasick feeling intensified until I couldn't even see straight. Maybe it was something in the food, or maybe I'd breathed in too much of the thick, moldy air inside of that place. But one thing was certain. They had no intention of letting me reveal what I saw. Not in my whole life. Not even on my deathbed. Even as I tried later to recover the photos from the barn, the files were too corrupted to fix. Lost forever. But there was something I did manage to get out of that car ride. Something that only ended up confusing my mother even more. Her splint was on the wrong hand, I said. Despite all my mom's efforts to revive our family ties, things ended up falling silent after that. No more annual check-ins or seasonal greetings from my grandparents. Time did not dull the memory of what I'd seen in the barn, and truthfully, I do not think it ever will. Visceral horror can't be erased. It can only be negotiated with. I filled up art books with it, sketching page after page of withered corpses and dark hedges made of body parts, eagerly awaiting harvest. What had started as a hobby of mine soon became an act of weak, pitiful defiance, a way to get the secrets trapped inside of me out. Stacks of them filled up my room. Teachers were getting frustrated. Mom started to worry. I didn't care. I only wanted to draw. I now have a therapist, and Dr. Abigail meets with me once a week for our 45-minute sessions. Even though she doesn't show it, I'm sure she gets bothered by how little I talk in them, because I'm too busy drawing, too busy finishing the piece I'm working on. Emily, she says from her chair, one leg folded over the other, can you tell me about that picture you're making? I don't answer. What are you going to call it? I stop and look up at her. Imposter. I hope you enjoyed Family Roots, as custom-written by Michael Page and performed by the incomparable Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's voice talents, Olivia Steele, Otis Jiry. To find more of author Michael Page, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash page, spelled P-A-I-G-E, and you'll be redirected to his author profile on creepypastastories.com. You can hear more from Olivia Steele right here on our very own network, as well as on her YouTube channel called Scarily Olivia. Voice actor Otis Jiry's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also keep up with him weekly on his show, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which is now in its ninth season. Capture the magic or the madness from the very beginning and check out his show today. You'll be glad that you did. And after dropping by, don't forget to let him know that you heard him here on this show. I love Otis very much, and I greatly appreciate it. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by Luis Hernandez and performed by Nick Goroff. In it, we'll meet a young man whose heart has been turned cold by the most common sickness there is, greed. When love for money and power causes him to do the unthinkable, we see how karma gets its way. Now, without further ado, I present to you the Golden Gun. Once upon a time, there lived a little boy called Victor Cabra in the city of Nashville. He was crazy about guns. His grandfather had a pretty impressive gun collection, the highlight of which was a beautiful revolver made of solid gold. 
It was Victor's favorite. When I die, these will all be yours, he used to say to Victor. Victor got more and more excited each time he heard those words. Finally, it got to the point where he could wait no longer. He's old anyway, he told himself. It doesn't matter if he dies this year or next. So, Victor began to hatch a plot. His parents hated rats. If Victor could manage to introduce a few rats into the family home secretly, his parents would have no choice but to buy rat poison. All Victor had to do was put a small amount of poison in his grandfather's coffee. No one would ever find out. He was delighted with his plan. There was a pet shop on the way to his school. Victor had stopped to look at the animals many times. He knew for a fact that they sold rats. One sunny afternoon after class, Victor went inside. Excuse me, he said. How much is a rat? The shopkeeper, a fat and angry man, snorted. Twenty dollars. Fifteen if you buy two. That seemed a little expensive to Victor, but he had gotten twenty dollars for his birthday, and his piggy bank was starting to get heavy. He was sure that he had enough. Thank you, Victor replied. I'll be back in a few days. As soon as Victor got home, he got the hammer from his father's toolbox and smashed his piggy bank. He could tell there wasn't enough money. What should I do? He asked himself. Then he remembered that his little sister, Joanna, also had a piggy bank. She was little, so she wouldn't care anyway. Victor marched into a room and pushed her to the ground. Give me your piggy bank right now, he shouted. Joanna was scared and quickly did as she was told. Victor went back to his room with a stolen piggy bank and smashed it. He had enough. He slept like a baby that night. The next day, Victor woke up before his parents. In fact, he woke so early that it was still dark outside. He lay in bed, smiling to himself like a madman. When it was finally time to leave for school, Victor put all the money in his school bag and set out with a giant grin on his face. He was skipping down the street when he saw Nathan, the neighborhood bully. He had had many run-ins with Nathan in the past and had always gotten the short end of the stick. Hey Victor, where are you going? Victor replied. It's seven in the morning, where do you think I'm going? I swear you get stupider every time I see you. Nathan didn't like Victor's clever response and he kicked him in the balls. He grabbed Victor's backpack and began to run. He shouted, Stop! Stop! My birthday money's in there! Nathan laughed devilishly. Victor picked up rock and threw it at Nathan's head. The bully fell to the ground in a heap. He was out cold. Victor slowly walked over to where the boy lay and picked up his backpack. A few seconds later, he was on his way back to school. At school, Time seemed frozen. He couldn't wait for class to finish. After what seemed like an eternity, the final school bell finally rang. Victor was so excited. He ran to the pet shop and bought the two biggest rats. I need a male and a female, he said to the fat man. No problem, kid, the shopkeeper replied. Victor's plan was in motion. The man put the rats in a small cardboard box and put them on the counter. Victor paid and exited the shop. He had never been so happy before. When he got home, his father was furious because of what Victor had done to his little sister. Victor was utterly unaffected. Sorry, Dad. It'll never happen again. As the boy spoke those words, there was a loud knock on the front door that startled them. Maybe it's my Amazon package, said his father. He walked over to the door and opened it. It wasn't the Amazon delivery guy. It was Nathan's mother, and she delivered a swift blow with her shoe to Victor's father's nose. My precious angel is in the hospital with a concussion! Victor's father quickly recovered and took off his belt. Victor, 
Do you know anything about this? Nathan's mother screamed. Yes, here's the rock he threw at my little boy. The father, out of his mind, whipped Victor across the face of the belt. The boy howled in pain and ran to his room. Revenge will be mine, the boy thought. Later that night, when everyone was asleep, Victor tiptoed to the kitchen to get some cheese. He put a piece in his sister's bedroom and another one in his parents' room. He went back to his own room, let the rats out of the box, and went back to bed. Again, he slept very peacefully. The following day, Victor didn't have school because it was a holiday. He opened his eyes, expecting to hear loud screams, but the silence was deafening. He didn't understand what was happening. He slowly got out of bed and walked to his bedroom door. He gently put his ear to it, but could hear nothing. Two months went by without incident. Victor had all but forgotten about the rats when one day his mother screamed. A rat! There was a huge rat in the kitchen, eating a piece of cheddar cheese. The woman's scream didn't even faze it. Suddenly, an army of rats appeared from behind the fridge. Victor yelled, We need rat poison! His mother, overcome with shock and fear, fainted. She fell to the floor, and the rats began biting her hands and feet. There was a lot of blood. What have I done? thought the boy. He got the broom and started to whack the rats. His father came into the kitchen, armed with a hammer. He threw it like Thor, his power unleashed. The hammer hit two of the rats, which practically exploded. Victor, run to the store and buy a hundred dollars worth of rat poison. Now! The boy took two fifty-dollar bills out of his dad's wallet and ran to the store. He knew exactly where the poison was. He picked up the biggest container, took it to the cash register, and paid. His grandfather's days were numbered. A few days later, he went to visit his grandfather. Oh, hello, Victor. How are you, little buddy? His grandfather's time was up. I'm fine, replied Victor. Can I get you some coffee? His grandfather thanked him, but politely declined. The doctor said I have to stop drinking this stuff. Can you believe it? I've been drinking coffee for over 50 years. But I tell you what, why don't you fix me a nice cup of tea and bring me my medication? Victor flashed what can only be described as an evil smile. He slowly made his way to the kitchen. The poison kept close in his pocket. The boy opened the cupboard and grabbed a box of tea before pouring the boiling water into his grandfather's favorite mug and lowered the tea bag into it. He was having second thoughts. Can I really go through with this? He asked himself. Sure I can. He's really old anyway. He added three tablespoons of sugar and the poison. Here you go, Grandpa. The old man sipped the tea and loudly exclaimed, Just the way I like it, son. Nice and sweet. He set the mug down and sat back in his chair. It didn't take long for the poison to act. The older man grabbed at his chest. His face twisted in pain. He opened his mouth as if to speak, but before he could say anything, he pitched forward, dead as a doornail. Victor went to his granddad's bedroom. His gun cabinet was in the closet. As the boy entered the room, he asked himself, What kind of monster am I? He picked up the golden gun. It was beautiful. The boy, as if possessed, loaded the pistol and turned it on himself. No one will ever know for sure what happened in that bedroom. But Victor Cabra, he was never seen again. I hope you enjoyed The Golden Gun, as written by Luis Hernandez and voiced by the amazing vocal actor Nick Goroff. 
Voice actor in 2016 Evil Idol champion Nick Goroff's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel, Wizard of Cause. If you drop by, don't forget to let him know you heard him here on this show. Check him out and be sure to let him know that Steve Taylor sent you. It would mean a lot to me personally. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And please, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Segment Final Sign-Off I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.